Awesome. Thank you guys again for being here this morning. We are going to be in the Gospel of John again this morning as we continue looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And uh, last week, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so I want to remind you sort of of the, of the main identity and point of last week. Jesus is the bread that gives and sustains all spiritual life. You remember, we talked about how he is the inexhaustible source of spiritual nourishment. And he says this in the context of this picture of, of people who are just clamoring and chasing after him for a free lunch. For the physical miracle of bread and, and fish, of food, and how they clamored after that. And Jesus said, I've not come to give you physical, temporary nourishment. I've come to give you spiritual, eternal nourishment. And uh, so we talked about how we can't ignore the spiritual and eternal things while we are pursuing after physical and temporary things. And I think... Jesus' words there is a challenge to us um, against the materialism that can come into our life so often that, that we put so much effort and invest so much time and energy into trying to gather for ourselves things that ultimately are going to fade away and not even last sometimes beyond the day that we're living in. But that Jesus comes to be the bread of, of spiritual nourishment for all eternity. We can't trade Jesus for tangible, physical, temporary things. But not just that. We can't trade Jesus for temporary um, or, or physical feelings or temporary relationships. All of those things are temporary and they fade away. And in the end, Jesus has come to bring what will last beyond that. Okay, so he says he is the bread of life. So this morning, we're going to return to John chapter 8. We actually started this series in John chapter 8, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. But also in John chapter 8, we find actually one of the, the next I am statement chronologically from John 6 last week. We're in John 8. And again, Jesus' next I am statement comes in the context of a discussion that he's having with guess who? The Pharisees, <laughs> with the religious leaders. He's, he's, they've come and they're, and they're drilling him and they're questioning him and so he is coming. He makes this statement in the midst of that and really, rather than a large passage this morning, I want us to just really focus on the context of the one verse where Jesus makes this I am statement and it's in Romans chapter eight, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this I am statement in verse 12 is a continuation of the conversation that is going on in chapter 7. So if you, if you really want to build a good context, again, um, go back to chapter 7, see the conversation that's going on there. Um, Jesus talks about um, being the living water, some of the stuff that we, that we talked about in, in the beginning, in the first message. 
but he's continuing. He tells the story, and it, it, the story of, of the woman caught in adultery is right before is right before Jesus says this in verse twelve. But it's sort of a it, it's sort of a um, like a, a shift in the scene almost because what's happening in chapter twelve. I mean, in chapter 8 and verse 12 is the same conversation that you will read about in the end of chapter 7, okay? So just know that that story is kind of wedged in there in the middle, but it's almost like a timeout because it goes back to that same conversation in chapter 7 in chapter 8. And what I want to tell you that you won't know from just opening your Bible and reading it, again, context is always really, really important. And so if you go back, since this is a continuation of the conversation in chapter 7, if you go back to chapter 7, you see that Jesus was in the temple and he was teaching and, and they were celebrating the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles. You'll find that in chapter 7. Now, does that sound familiar to you at all? Maybe it should because in Nehemiah, you remember when we were studying Nehemiah, one of the festivals that they, that they celebrated was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Shelters. And that's the one where I told you where, where they would go out from their house and they would set up tents and, or on the roof of their house and they would live for so many days. Like this is what's going on in Jesus' day here. They're celebrating that same festival that we just talked about in Nehemiah um, a few months ago. And this was a celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of, 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 of Shelters was a celebration and observance of every, the people's deliverance from Egypt, right? That was the focus, that God delivered them out of Egypt and, and how he provided for them in the wilderness and this is what they're celebrating. Now, there are two customs that, that the Jews would make a part of this celebration in the day of Jesus. And these are really important to really understand why is Jesus saying this and what does it mean in the context of where and how he's saying it. The, the first ceremony or custom was a water pouring ceremony. Do you remember in Numbers chapter 20 where God provided water for the people through the rock, right? And so this was, there was a ceremony that went on during the Feast of Tabernacles where there was, they would take water and they would pour it over these rocks. And it was a water pouring ceremony to remember and commemorate that event in Numbers chapter 20. But then there was a second thing that they commemorated. There were four what are kind of described, and I couldn't really, I, I, I didn't find a picture or anything. Um, but four like candelabras or large lamps that were, that were there in the temple. In, and, and every evening during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these. And um, they were lit in, in a place, the particular place was called the Court of the Women. And this, this lighting of these torches at night, what, what part of the Exodus might that, just think about for a second, what part of that, that what part of the Exodus story might the lighting of these big lamps and torches have commemorated? Maybe the, the pillar of fire. You remember? Um, that God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. So each night of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these huge lamps and candelabras that were so large that historians say 
that they were so big and they gave out so much light and, and so much fire that it illuminated homes and courtyards all over the city of Jerusalem. Like these things were, were huge. And they were lit in this area called the court of the women. And that is the area where Jesus is standing and teaching when he says this. And so that gives us some context for why Jesus is talking about light. When we, talk, when we think of light, what do we think of? We think of light in terms of electricity, don't we? Like we think about light switches and, and light bulbs and flashlights and, you know, the flashlights on our phones when you're, you're at a ball game and everybody pulls out their phones and lights their flashlight and they do their stuff. You know, we think about light in terms of that or maybe even sunlight. But in Jesus' time and culture, when they thought of light, they immediately thought of fire, right? Because that, that was the only, so there was no electricity. So that was the source of light for them. And so Jesus, when he says this, it's very powerful because in the midst of the people celebrating the, the deliverance from Egypt, they're commemorating the pillar of fire that led the people through the wilderness in the direction that God was having them go. Jesus, in the midst of his teaching, stands in the midst of these four huge lamp candelabras and says, I am the light of the world. He's comparing himself, he's using what they know to be true and what they've celebrated for hundreds of years as, as to say, I am greater than that. In essence, he's saying the fiery light that led your ancestors was me. That, that pillar of fire that you commemorate with these large lightings of these lamps, that was me. I, I, I was, I am, I was the one in the wilderness. I was that pillar of fire who led your ancestors through the wilderness. That's what these lamps that, that, that are all around me and you right now are meant to commemorate. And what these really are commemorating is me. Now that's a bold statement to make. That is, that is a, a firm declaration of divinity because it was God they knew that it was God who provided that light and that pillar of fire for the Israelites and Jesus basically stands in the midst of them and says I am that pillar of fire and so obviously if you read the rest of of uh, chapter uh, seven or chapter eight excuse me if you finish that chapter, you see how they continue to question him. And they say, wow, you can't say that. <laughs> and they say, how do, you, how do you make this claim by yourself? And he says, you, you're, you're testifying about yourself, which earlier in the Gospel of John, you said that if you testify only about yourself, it's not true. Well, now you're saying this about yourself. How are we supposed to believe you? And then Jesus goes on to explain to them, no, there's another witness, my father is the other witness. I testify to what he is, is, gives testimony to what I say and I'm testimony to what he says. So even in the legal system, there has to be two witnesses. The two witnesses of my divinity is me and my father. 
And so he begins to explain that to them and there's a dialogue back and forth and they still don't get it and understand. But I want us to think this morning about, about for us, what is Jesus saying about himself in this statement? And to just look at it very closely. I am, which we understand, we've already talked about what that means, the depth of that phrase, I am. He says, I am the light, which is singular, right? I think that's significant in the, in the fact that they were in this, this court where there were multiple lamps. There were, there were at least four that were lit. And Jesus says, I am the light. Jesus doesn't say I'm a light, does he? He doesn't say I'm one of many options or I'm a piece of the light or I'm a one small part of a bigger light. He says, I am the light. Singular and not, not one in the midst of many. The one and only. So when it is the light, that means there's one and there's only one. And he says, I am that light. That's a strong statement. But then he says, I am the light, what? Of the world, right? Very good. Now, light, when does light really fulfill its purpose? Or where does light fulfill its purpose? In darkness. That's right. So you can't, I mean, light isn't light unless it's, there's, there's, a context of, of darkness. It, it fulfills its purpose in dark places. And those lamps were lit at night. The pillar of fire was at night. And night is when it's the darkest. Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the source of light in the midst of a world full of spiritual darkness. If Jesus represents spiritual light, He says, I come in the midst of a world full of spiritual darkness. He said this at night, in the dark, amidst these lamps that were lit. And we see spiritual darkness all over the world, don't we? I mean, just just open our eyes and see. I don't have to convince you that we live in a world full of all sorts of spiritual darkness. But we must eventually see that darkness in us before we can understand why we need the light of Jesus. It's very easy for us to to look outside of ourselves and see the darkness. But for Jesus to be the light of the world also includes me. And for Jesus to be the light of my life, I have to understand that darkness is present in me. And I have to be aware of that because I need him. Uh, John MacArthur says this about what Jesus is saying in, in this statement. To the darkness of sin, he is the light of holiness. To the darkness of sorrow, he is the light of joy. And to the darkness of death, he is the light of life, he says. So for every, for every sin that's in me, for every sin that I struggle with and fight and battle and for every sin that keeps me away, Jesus is the light of holiness that comes into that darkness. And the darkness of sorrow, he's the light of joy. I, I love that so much. 
Because think about the times in your life when you've gone through the most sorrow, the most fear. And Jesus being the light of joy in the midst of that sorrow. All of these things dwell in us. Sin is a part of who we are as people. Sorrow is something that we deal with. And death is a very real thing. And all of these things dwell in us and they're around us. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world and the world is full of darkness. Now there are a couple of aspects I want us to look at specifically about the character of Jesus that when light comes into darkness, what does that mean? Because light in darkness is really, really important. And so practically, there's two aspects of that that I want us to think about this morning. And here's the first one. Jesus is the true light that gives direction to our wondering. I think Jesus is saying this in this statement. Have you ever been in a place of total darkness? Now, when I say dark, I don't mean like if we were to, I couldn't even create the effect in the room if I wanted to. I wish I could. Um, if we didn't have windows and um, I could, I, we could try to do it. But have you ever been, I'm not talking about if we just turn the lights off in here. I mean a pitch black darkness. And most of you are shaking your heads. Yeah, like you've been there before. You, you know what that feels like. And you know it's different. That's a different kind of feeling if you're just in a dark room or maybe you turn the lights off in your house at night and there's a little bit of moonbeam coming through the window or there's even, the, even like that little red light at the bottom of your TV maybe that's shining in the room. Like there's some source of light usually all the time. But what I'm talking about are those moments where there is no light at all. Everything is completely dark. That's really uncomfortable, isn't it? That's, for some people, that's scary. I mean, it, it causes a lot of fear and there, there's legitimate phobias about that. But even if you're not, quote, afraid of the dark, if you get into pitch blackness where you can't see anything, it's a little unnerving at the very least. Why is that? Think about that for a minute. Why is it so weird to be in pitch black darkness? Well, one because you, you can't see anything around you, obviously. Darkness, total darkness like that takes away your senses. Probably one of the senses, one of our senses that we rely on the most is our sight. And the reason black darkness is so scary is because it takes away our sense of sight. And when you can't see anything... You can't know what's around you. You have no sense of direction either. In pitch blackness, there's no way for you to know which direction is which. I can't know if I'm in a pitch black room what direction I'm facing. And, and any way that I turn, if I turn this way or turn this way, I can tell that I'm turning. But I have no ability, no reference point to be able to know what direction I'm going. And I, and I have no sense of reality. I can't know what's there and what's not there. I can't know what's close by, what's far away. Any of those things. And especially if there's no noise or no sound, 
which is another sense that we rely on. If you're in pitch black silence, it's scary because then our sense of reality is taken away, isn't it? Because from, for those moments, we don't know what's real and what's not. We don't know whether something, and so then what happens when we can't sense what's around us in, with our senses, then our minds begin to, to think weird things, don't they? We start thinking that something is near us when maybe it's really not. So our reality gets skewed. We, we don't even know. And, and so this is why Jesus used darkness and light to teach us about how much we need him. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, it said, Isaiah said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Have you ever been in, in that pitch black darkness? Have you ever tried to walk in pitch black darkness? You may, you may think, well, that doesn't sound hard. It's, it's, it's harder than you think. Because if, if you're in a, in a pitch black space and you have no idea, you can't even look down to see if there's floor in front of you. If I was in a pitch black room right now and standing on this platform, I would fall off. Because I can't, because I'm moving around all the time. I'm always stepping, I'm always moving. And if I can't look down and see that there's an end to this platform, I'm going to fall off and break something. So what am I going to do? If I'm in this room and, I'm, and it's pitch black most of the time, I'm going to stand still. I'm not even going to move because I don't know where I can go. I don't know where it's safe. And so I'm going to stand still. Or if I get brave enough to try to move, I'm going to move very deliberately and very slowly because I'm in darkness and I can't see anything. When you are in total darkness, is there anything better than seeing the light? Like, remember being in that space. Is there anything greater than, than having even one? And you notice that it only takes like a pinhole of light in a pitch dark room to give you a reference, to give you a direction, right? Isaiah is saying that spiritually, without Christ, we are, we are spiritually people walk, trying to walk around and navigate in pitch black spiritual darkness. And, and we are a people trying to walk in that pitch black darkness. But he says, a great light has come. And, 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 and that's like being in that pitch black room and seeing that little pinhole of light pop up somewhere where there's a wow, all of a sudden now there's, a, there's reference like I've got something that I can turn toward. I've got something I can move closer to. I can see a little bit of what's, what's around me all of a sudden. This is what happens spiritually when Jesus comes. 
We are, we are spiritually in pitch black darkness and even the smallest light that comes through. But this doesn't say that Jesus' light is a little pinhole that comes into the room. It says a great light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. It's not a little, it's not a little micro pin light. It's, it's like the full floodlight comes on. And now everything, like we can see, we can see where to go. We can see what's around us. We, we have a perception of what's real now because we can see it. We can move. We can go in the direction that, that Jesus calls us to go because we can see because he's the light. He gives us direction. Without Jesus, we're searching for where, where we are and where to go. We can't even know where we are when we're in pitch black darkness. And that's the same thing that's true in spiritual darkness. We either don't move or we wander around with no sense of direction because that's, that's the only way you can walk in the darkness is to either stand still and not move at all or just wander around having no idea what direction you're going. So Jesus says, I am the light that comes into the darkness. I give direction from your wandering. Proverbs chapter 4 Verses 18 and 19 says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. See that? You can see the path because of the light. Shining brighter and brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. We have to understand that when we look out into the world and we go out to meet people where they are, that people are walking in spiritual darkness. And the proverb says that they don't even know what makes them stumble. They're like that person in the pitch black room walking around tripping over things. You know what that's like when you wake up in the middle of the night and try to get to the bathroom and you, it's not even pitch black dark, but you stumble over stuff and you're tripping all over the place because you can't see. Spiritually, we're surrounded by people who are living and trying to walk around in a pitch black room and they're stumbling and tripping over things all the time. Of course they are because they're in darkness because they can't see. And so this describes what Jesus is saying when he says, if we go back to verse 12 in chapter eight, he says, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness right? Because he is the light. So to be in the presence of the light means to be in the absence of darkness. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What he was saying to the people there in that temple court is just like the pillar of fire was provided by God for the people to follow. Jesus says, I am the light that's meant to be followed. Jesus is not just a, Jesus is not a stationary light. You don't just like put him up on a lampstand and he sits there. He's a moving light. He's a, he's a directional light, like that pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness. Jesus says, I am that pillar of fire. I'm the source of light that cuts through the darkness so that you can see where you are and so you can see where you're supposed to go. He gives our spirits direction. 
that's true and real and purposeful. And he doesn't just shine in the direction that we should go, but he walks that way and he tells us to follow him. He's not, he doesn't have, the light of Jesus doesn't shine down, doesn't stand still and shine down the path like, like the floodlight on your house that shines over your driveway. It's not, it's not that kind of light. It's the light that moves with you and he moves ahead of you and he says, follow me like that pillar of fire. And anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. You know why? Because you're staying close to the light. Where he moves, you move. So he gives us direction. Here's the second thing. Jesus is the true light that distinguishes truth from lies. So he's not just the light of direction, but Jesus is also the light that reveals what is true and what is not true. Um, look at Ephesians chapter four, verses 17 and 18. This is what it says. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are what? Darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. So let's shift gears a second and think about darkness a little in a different way. When you're in the dark, we've already said, you, you can't tell what's around you, right? You, you, you can, your sense of reality is skewed because you can't perceive what is real and what's not real. Things you think are there might be there, but then they may not be there, right? You can think about, think about when you were a kid and maybe you were a little afraid of the dark and your parents would turn the light off and maybe you didn't have a nightlight or anything. Your imagination ran wild, didn't it? Doesn't it, as a kid, you think about, you see every little thing in your room and you think it's alive, like it's a monster, there's a monster in the closet. There's something under the bed. I can see this shadow maybe from, from the moon that's casting through the window and it's, it's shining over this particular thing in the room and you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh man, that's, that looks scary. That might be something. But then we know, you know, as adults, we know, well, that's silly. There's no such thing as those things. There's no monsters in your closet. A, but, but when you're a kid, those, those thoughts are real. Those are, those are real fears and they're real, they're, they're scary. Our thinking changes in the dark. I mean, think about even as an adult, how that happens. At night, aren't you more sensitive to things at night when it's dark than you are during the day? The little noises in your house that you hear when it's dark and quiet, you make those into something in your mind when during the day you don't. You just don't even think about them. You, you barely hear them during the day. But when you're laying in the bed at night, I don't know how many times, Kim does it to me all the time. She'll wait, oh, what, what's that noise? She sleep, like sometimes she can sleep hard, but sometimes she's such a light sleeper and I'm just, I'm almost asleep. And she's like, what is that? What's that noise? I'm like, I don't even hear it. I'm so sleepy. And she's like, I hear something. So what do you do, husbands, when your wife says she hears something? 
you get up and go check on it. Or you better, if you're smart. You get up, you go check, and what do you always find? Nothing. There's nothing there. But your mind, in darkness, your mind thinks differently, doesn't it? It perceives things that aren't really real. So in Ephesians chapter 4, what Paul is saying here is the darkness, spiritual darkness that we walk in without Jesus causes our thoughts to be futile. You know what that word futile means? It literally means incapable of producing any result or useless. He says darkness, spiritual darkness will cause our minds to think useless thoughts. Our thinking will do us no good. So our thinking is futile and then he talks about ignorance. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And ignorance is just a lack of our own understanding. I, 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 I sometimes when we read this and those of us who, who have faith see this and we look back at ourselves and go, why in the world did I ever trust what I thought? I mean, what does everybody in the world bases their reality, everything in their entire life, everything that but they believe is based on what? Their understanding. And so many people can't come to Jesus because they can't get past their own understanding. If I can't understand it, it's not real. Well, Paul is saying that you're, the darkness, the spiritual darkness that you're living in is causing your mind to be futile. Don't trust what you think. You can't trust what you think because you're living in darkness. And darkness changes your mind. It makes your thinking futile and it, it puts you living in ignorance. We can't trust our own understanding. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because what happens when we lean on our own understanding and we rely on what in reality is ignorance for us, what does it say? Because of the hardness of their hearts. It develops hard hearts, firm, cold unmovable hearts when we decide that we have figured it out we have the answer and nothing God or Jesus or anybody else can say will change our mind because we understand or we think we understand something but do we really how can you really have an understanding of anything when you're in the pitch black darkness your mind may make you think you understand. Just like it makes you think there's a monster under your bed. But that's not real. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes. Follow, see? 
we follow the light. My statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. This is what a relationship with Jesus does. The darkness, the darkness causes our minds to think in futility. We become ignorant and that creates hard hearts. But when we see the light of Jesus and we, re, and we follow, he says, I'll take that hard heart and I'll replace it. And I'll transform it and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus talks about light. Light is a theme that runs all throughout the gospels, but especially in the gospel of John. But chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, Jesus also said this. Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Who's he talking about? Himself, because he is the light. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. You see that? But verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said to become children of light rather than living in the darkness is to believe in the light. That's the, that's the instruction there. He says, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. So what makes us children of light is belief, is faith. To let Jesus show us the reality and the direction to go, we're walking in darkness. We see the light of Jesus. He illuminates what's around us. We see the reality of where we are and where we need to go. And then we decide we're going to follow Jesus as the light. We're going to follow that pillar of fire through the darkness. That's what he's come to do. The only thing that gets rid of darkness is light, isn't it? If we're walking in spiritual darkness, there's only one thing that can eliminate that spiritual darkness and that spiritual light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If I'm in a dark room and I'm afraid or I'm scared, there is nothing else besides light that can get rid of the darkness. I can't yell away the darkness, can I? I could, I could be in a pitch black room and scream and yell and, and cry out as loud as I can, but it's not going to bring any light into the room. There's nothing I can do with my hands to, to make light, right? If I'm in the darkness, there's nothing. I, I, if I don't have, unless I have a lighter or some matches or something, something physical that will create light, I can't do anything with my hands just to make my own light. I can't create life from myself. The source of light has to come from outside of me. It has to be in something else. And that same thing is true in spiritual darkness. We have people who are walking around in spiritual darkness thinking they can create their own spiritual light and they can't. Because light is the only thing that can remove darkness and we can't create light by ourselves. Light has to come from outside of us and Jesus says, I am that light. I need the light of Jesus to show me what's true and what's not true. And I need the light of Jesus to show me where I am and where I'm supposed to be going.
Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, right? What he's really saying is, I'm the light of you. I'm the light for you. I'm the light for Eric. I'm the light for Jim. I'm the light for Leanne. I'm the light for Judy. I'm until we understand that darkness isn't just something that's outside of us, but darkness is something that's in us. And we realize that we're walking around in that spiritual darkness and we need Jesus. He says, I'm not just the light of the world, but I'm the light for you.